um, John and Diane used to do, uh, at MAPS RV volunteers, they did that for years and years. And uh, it's extremely beneficial, specifically for smaller churches. And one of the things that they do when they go to a smaller church is they also do not, um, they pay for the materials. Usually the MAPS RV volunteers, they will go and the, and the church will still buy the materials and they'll do the work. But uh, these guys are, are they, they're go-getters. They, and they've already done quite a bit around here. And, uh, and I, when they first asked, like, they emailed a few weeks ago and said, hey, can we come through? We'll do this. And I was like, okay, you can stay in our parking lot. I don't think we really have anything for you to do. And then they came and started looking around and naming a bunch of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I think we have a lot of stuff for you to do, actually. So, <laughs> so thanks for noticing. And uh, they've been hard at work on doing some stuff. Um, when it comes to the, uh, <clears throat> the vaccine mandates, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention this week. Um, so, so, the, so the mandates have been, there's been some dates for a lot of government and military and stuff like that in no, uh, October and then November and then December, different groups. A lot of nurses um, all over the country, tens of thousands of uh, hospital workers, nurses, and doctors have been quitting and walking away. Uh, and it's only going to get worse as more states uh, do this. We're seeing a lot of government workers that are, are being pushed to do this, and that'll be happening soon, where a lot of them are just going to say, we're done. We're not going to do this. And, uh, they, you know, did you see last week where they were talking about Southwest Airlines was canceling a bunch of flights because of weather? That's not what it was. Um, it was the, the uh, pilots and stewardesses are saying, we don't, we're not going to do this mandate thing. You can't make us do this. And, uh, and again, guys, this is not about health. This mandate, the vaccine might have been possibly about people's health. I don't even believe that. But, but mandating like this is proof this is not about people's health. This is about control. Well, here's the latest one is the military is now saying if you, um, if you don't get the, the uh, vaccine, then you will be removed from service and you will not be allowed to have an honorable discharge. It'll be other than honorable, which is a major deal when it comes to getting jobs and things like that the rest of your life. Okay, because if you get out of the military and it's other than honorable, you did something. And if it's dishonorable, you did really something. This isn't casual stuff. Well, now this week they said, not only are they going to be removing people, and this started, the, the, the Navy is the first one to announce it, which was, I was in the Navy, and so I, my ears picked up, and I went and read about this. Um, now you're going to have to, well, they're, they're pushing that this is going to be a possibility, that you're going to have to pay back your, me, your um, military training that you received in that time frame. Now look at this. Let's say you're a, a nuclear subtech. Um, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars of training that they're going to make you pay back. And now they specifically, the Navy specifically, see Rick can't even handle it anymore. <laughs> Chaplain is out of here. <clears throat> um, they specifically mention the Navy SEALs will have to pay back their training. How do you do that? This is, this, is, this is proof to me that this is not about people's health. This is about control. And I, and I really do believe, at the end of the day, it is, it's, it is demonically controlled and influenced. It's not, this isn't people coming up with these ideas. This is Satan manipulating people across our country. And so, so just to throw that out, I did hear one more thing this week I thought was interesting. The Church of England has finally approved female bishops. 
Now women can move diagonally. Pretty excited about that. <clears throat> All right. Some of you are like, don't know what that means. Genesis chapter 1. So in continuing, in continuing with um, the one soul and the, the fact that, I want to restate these things again, that, that guys, what we're trying to build here, we're going to be building a building, and that, that's a tool that represents something. But I don't want us to ever get to the place as a church where we think that defines us or that it becomes a necessity to fill that space up. Um, that's not what we're trying to accomplish. I, I want to fill the space up, but I want to fill it up with people that are getting saved, that, that need Jesus and understand that Jesus is Savior. And uh, we, we, we're not ever going to be a church that's about just getting people in the building. That is not who we are. That is not who we're going to be. In fact, I think that is, that is it's frustrating to me. It's disgusting, actually, because what's happened is, is we've turned churches into these, you know, as long as the, the pastor can take some leadership courses and do some, some, uh, um, some uh, industry type of training and things like that, and we make a, a, a well-polished uh, uh, machine, that then people will want to show up. And the mentality is what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to come to our church instead of the church down the road, and so we present a better, a better product. As that's, that's not scriptural. That doesn't even make sense. Really, if you think about it, that doesn't make sense. What does it matter if somebody goes to the church across the road or this church? If, assuming they're both um, preaching the gospel. If we're just trying to get people in the building, we've missed it. We've... we've, we've We've hurt ourselves because then what you start doing is you have to start figuring something out to get them to your church. And if you're trying to attract um, Christians from other churches, that's why I really believe that's why a lot of churches do what they do in, in America that is, it really is, it's some of it's stupid stuff because they're not trying to, to see people get saved. They're trying to attract people that have grown up in the church and are just, they've, they've grown accustomed to just moving from church to church and being tired of what this church is talking about. So I'm going to go to the next church. I'm tired of what this church and their coffee and their coffee shop isn't good anymore. I'm moving to another church. I mean, it really is that kind of stuff. I'll give you an example. I wasn't planning on saying this, but you know what? You guys asked. So here we go. <clears throat> This idea that churches have done for years now, now the trend is starting to change and churches are getting out of this, but I still think it's trend. It's not purpose. But making the sanctuary all dark, having all the lights and the smoke machines and all that stuff, you're not attracting lost people. You're attracting people that still want youth camp and haven't left it. That's the only group you're attracting. When we care about people getting saved, we do things differently. We do things about Jesus and the gospel. Guys, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Yes, we're going to be building a building and having water soon. I'm very excited about that. Water that doesn't turn. If it's turning the sidewalks gold like that, brown, what do you think it's doing to you? I can say that now because we almost got water. I wouldn't have said that three or four years ago. I'd have been like... <clears throat> So here's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to be a place where people get saved. Where people recognize that Jesus Christ is the answer and he's a light. And that, that, that he literally changes us. We don't add him to our life. We, we jump into his existence and his world 
and he changes us. And he changes us in every way, in our thoughts, in our, in our lives, our attitudes, everything about us, he changes us. We've got to be ready for that. We've got to be wanting that and, and, and going after that. And once we are saved, we should continue to go after that. So I want to show you, I want to show you something that I think is an interesting thing that happens in Scripture. It's a progression of a term that, that, that unfolds through Scripture, and the term actually stays basically the same, but the, but the uh, context is different. I'll show you. So in Genesis chapter 1, again, uh, uh, what we're trying to do is Genesis, first three chapters of Genesis, and, and the last uh, few chapters of Revelation, and then some scattering throughout Scripture is, is the plan of God, Okay. God planned on it looking like the Garden of Eden. We were going to—I I believe that He created us to marry Jesus back then, and uh, then everything in the in Revelation is where we're getting to, where He changes, where He redeems us back to, kind of thing. Everything in the middle is the redemption story that He's got to win us back. He's got to He's got to uh, provide for this reconciliation through His blood. That's the Genesis three through through and most of Scripture through Revelation is that redemption. Okay? Those are the bookends, and everything else is the story. That's why there's certain things in the story and certain things left out of the story. I was reading some stuff this week, again, about the Nephilim. If you don't know what that is, it does not matter. But I, I was reading some stuff about that, and it's part of the scripture. People just don't understand it totally. It's, a, it's in the Old Testament, and they don't really get it. I don't totally understand it. I've got my view of it, but there's other views in this stuff. And here's at the end of it. Why doesn't God tell us more? Because it's not important to the story of redemption. The story of redemption is the, is the key. That's the reason for Scripture. It's not just historical narrative. It's the story of Jesus, the Word, coming. That's the Old Testament. And Jesus is coming again. That's the New Testament. And so we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now this is important, this next sentence. It's important that we know this. God didn't create the sun for two more days. This is important. And you say, well, does it matter? It matters to me because we see in, when we get back to the redeemed part of the story, to the end of the story, that in the, in the, <clears throat> the uh, new heavens and the new earth, there is no sun. God takes the sun and does away with it because he doesn't need it. Why? Because Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light then. Jesus was the light in the beginning. And I think what he did was he put the sun up there as like a light bulb because as humans we need that. That's, I think that's about as close as we can come to this. You say, no, it's necessary for photosynthesis and all that stuff. Okay, but who made photosynthesis? Who designed that? Do you understand what I'm saying? We, when we look at these things, we know, know the sun is necessary because of the heat. Who made that? The paradigm. It's not like the paradigm existed, and so therefore the sun needed to be. God made it all. He made every bit of it. And so he creates the light. And God said that the light was good. And it will always be good. Light was good then. It's good under the time of the sun. And it's good under the time of the Son of God. It's, it's good. That's important for us this morning. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Now, this is just a side note. I, this is part of the reason I believe in a uh, literal seven-day creation. I don't believe it was thousands of years and all that stuff. I believe the earth is 10,000 or years or less-ish. I don't believe in an old earth. I believe in, in a young earth. And I believe it's 24-hour days that, that God created. Because why? This, it's the same terminology he uses here 
as all through Scripture for the word day that's a 24-hour day. If it meant ages or epochs or something else, why didn't he use a different term? Why did he use the term we use for day? That's, that one was just side note. Okay, so God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. Now look at this. Let's go to John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word is Jesus. Again, I think the Word, the title, the name, Word, for Jesus is a much more um, important and transcendent name for Jesus than what I believe to be a temporal name for Jesus, which is Son of God. I believe the idea of Son of God or the understanding of why we need to know that now or use that term now is because it helps us understand who Jesus is in relationship to God, in relationship to us, in relationship of the, the body of Christ and being adopted in all stuff. The Son of God term is important in those respects. But I believe a million years from now when we're sitting in eternity and we've been there a while, we'll see the name Word as the, the, as the more of the... Um, the real name or the usable name for God, for Jesus, than, than Son of God. Okay? Same way with God and God the Father. I believe God the Father is a temporal type of term that helps us understand something in a temporary way. Okay? You say, I, I don't necessarily believe that. That's okay. It's not important enough to argue about. Um, but, but for me, when, it's, when he just jumps out here, when John just jumps out here and says, in the beginning, the Word already existed, and we know he's talking about Jesus, that's Jesus' name. Why does he use that? The logos, the, the thing that everything else is established on. The Word. And he says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. In Genesis 1, when God created the, the, this light, it's Elohim. Multiple and um, plural and singular, singular at the same time. We don't have a word in English that does that. And, and this Elohim, this God is the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was there, and he existed, and he was part of creation. In fact, I believe Jesus is the word that brought it into to existence. God is the, um, <clears throat> the originator, if you want to use that. Jesus is the word that speaks it, and the Holy Spirit is the power that makes it happen. That's, that's, that's a, a very simplification of that. So God created everything through him. Who? The word. And nothing was created except through him. Now look at this. The word, Jesus gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. See, this is the same terminology in Genesis when we see that God created light. He didn't, it didn't come from the sun. In fact, if you just want to kind of process this, um, there's a lot of suns out there. Our sun is one of the smaller ones. If you're just processing where light comes from and how it how that works and all that kind of stuff. We don't need the sun for light. Jesus created light. Light is something that exists separate from the sun. And according to this, that Jesus brings this light to the world. Now, obviously, when he says this, this transcends light that we see with our eyes, right? I think we all would be on the same page with that. That when Jesus is bringing light to the world, he's bringing a visual spectrum that, is, that we would understand to be light, but he's also bringing something that is spiritual, that transcends a visual understanding of a, of a, um, of a wave or something like that. That this, that this existence of light is directly tied to life in Jesus Christ. So Jesus brings to us life and light. And then he says <clears throat> that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
Now, this is the interesting thing. When we see darkness in, in Genesis and we see darkness in John here, it does not mean sin or evil. Okay? It can mean that as part of the definition, but that's not the, the focal point or the context. And part of the reason that I'm saying I keep going back to Genesis is because John uses the language of Genesis chapter 1 to start John chapter 1. So we understand from John's point of view on a theological level that he is tying the two together, that they are directly in, in, um, in uh, uh, concert with each other. That this beginning of creation and what John is talking about here in John 1, they are, they're the same thing. They're working together. Now, why is that important? Because John is not necessarily talking about darkness being evil yet, but he's going to evolve that throughout his book. In fact, if you read, if you just sit down and read John and you look, just look at, I mean, there's a bunch of things that John does with this, but just take darkness and, and, and relationship to sin. He develops that through John. But here it just means, darkness just means um, everything that comes from God, everything that is. So, so the, way, the way the Old Testament would say it in King James is there was, it was void, okay? But, but God was still there. Now, this is this concept that I talk about every now and then that for me is difficult to understand totally. I embrace it in faith more than I understand it, but that God is outside of all of this stuff. When God creates light and he separates light from darkness, he's outside of that. God is not limited to light or darkness, Hopefully we understand that, right? Same way with time. We, you and I, are on a one-direction linear track of time going, going the same direction. It does not, we don't have the ability to go backwards. That's where time machines are so cool and movies and stuff like that. But it doesn't exist. We are on one direction. God is not limited to that. God created that time. He created light. He created the universe. He created um, the earth. He created human beings. We are on a, on a one-track linear direction. God is not. So he is outside of darkness and light. He is outside of time. All this kind of stuff. That's why I believe when, when, when we talk about um, God knowing everything, I think one of the ways to process that, I, I, there's a lot, but I think one of the ways to process that is the reason that we can say within our context that God knows everything is because he's looking at it all at the exact same time. Now, this is where I don't get it. But God is looking at creation and, and Revelation 22 at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? He's looking at all of it. So does God know everything? Yes. This is why we, this is how I begin to understand how God can know everything, but not necessarily be obligated to change everything. This idea of, well, if something bad happens, where is God? Why is he not helping me or rescuing me? Well, just because God sees everything doesn't mean that he changes everything. That's why prayer is important, because prayer is what changes stuff. Right? So, so God's looking at things, and he sees Horrible tragedies, just like we see them, and God doesn't like them. God hurts way more than we hurt. <clears throat> you ever processed our capacity to hurt and God's capacity to hurt? And so we, th that's why we get confused by all this stuff. Now, God creates light, and he says it's good, and then he says that this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never overtake it. Now, that's important for us. As I, as I get farther in, you'll see this. It's important for us to remember that darkness can never stop light. Right? You can't take a piece of darkness and put it in light. 
Light dispels darkness. There is no darkness where there is light. Okay? God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe of his testimony. Now, this is important, specifically in our society today. John himself was not the light. That is so important. We are so personality-driven. And we, the church picks on things like Hollywood, the music industry, and stuff like that, because, well, you know, all these people worship these um, actors and singers and all this kind of stuff. Okay, but we do the exact same thing in the church. We put people up on pedestals and, and what books have they written and, and how amazing they are and all this other stuff. And they're just people like everybody else and they have problems just like everybody else. Although the, a lot of times they don't admit it. All right. If, if you've got a pastor that is always walking around acting all perfect and never admitting that he has issues and, and he deals and struggles with stuff and he has issues in his life and marriage and everything else, then something's wrong. He's fake. Okay. Everybody has issues. I mean, not me, but everybody else has issues. But, but here's the thing, guys. We're human. You're human. I'm human. And this is why when pastors build themselves up and, and speakers and in per personalities and stuff, and the church begins to almost worship these people, and then they fall and people come crashing down with them. That's not healthy. The reason we come crashing down with them is because we were attached to them instead of being attached to Jesus. I'm not the light. You're not the light. Jesus is the light. Now, what I do is I am a, a distribution person. I'm a window that Jesus shines his light through me. And he's supposed to be shining his light through all of us. But don't confuse that with I am the light. I cannot create. God is the creator. I can co-create with him like having babies and things like that. But I cannot create. I am not the originator of light. So if you see light in me, it is not me. It's Jesus. And that's where we have to keep a healthy balance in church thinking. As we become so personality driven, it's harmful to us. They're not light. They represent the light. They shine the light through. Same thing you and I are supposed to do. Right? And he says, John's not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, the one, singular, who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, because this is where it begins to change a little bit. Same term, but now we see the context is a little different. So Jesus is light. He comes to establish this light. Light and life are together. And he comes to establish this, and he establishes it in the hearts and the lives of people. Think about this. This Sometimes we, we, we kind of forget this. Without human beings getting saved, there is not an establishment of the light of Christ. You understand that? Jesus is transcendent. Jesus is completely, he's the omni-all, right? But at the same time, the only way that he establishes light in darkness is through a human being. Understanding that he's God and then uh, living out and, dis and, and um, verbalizing God's word. But it's not just, God doesn't just in a dark space just drop a light in some um, ambiguous way. It's a human that is that light. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, We, we are not fighting against fled and flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, 
against mighty powers in this dark world. Now we see this term dark in a different context. But the, the, the word darkness that we see in Genesis and John, it means that God's uh, everything that is God. God, God created uh, God's existence, right? Everything that is, that came from him. That's right what it said, everything that came from God. Well, here's interesting. It has another definition. It's just not used in Genesis and John as the context. But this is the context of the word dark with this, in this scripture because of this part of the definition. It can also mean where God is not and there is death. That is also the same definition of this. Now think about that. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. You understand that's what's going on in our world, always has, and it's going on in our country strong enough now that we're seeing it. It's always been here. But Satan just keeps it quiet, keeps it hidden, all that kind of stuff. It's wide open now because Satan thinks he's at the end of the, he's at the finish line and he's winning. And so now uh, it, all bets are off. Right? And so he's ramping it up. That's what he thinks is going on. All right? So now we're seeing it in, we're seeing these evil rulers and authorities that are part of the unseen world. We're seeing it played out in the seen world. And against mighty powers in this dark world, this dark, evil world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Guys, this world is very dark. Colorado Springs is very dark. This is something, I, I mentioned this the first few years I was here. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but <clears throat> statistically, this is one of the things when I first got here, I started studying um, Colorado Springs. I wanted to know my city and I wanted to know um, stuff. And so I was studying the city and looking, and there's all kinds of studies you can go online and find and all stuff. And one of the statistics that stood out at me was, well, there were two different statistics. We're not together. I put them together. One is the amount of people that work in parachurch or ministry type of organizations throughout Colorado Springs, okay? Whatever the number is. And then I found another statistic that showed how many people are church, not necessarily Christian, but churched people in Colorado Springs. And the number of people in Colorado Springs that were churched is less than the number of people in, in Colorado Springs that work at Christian organizations, now, let me statistically show you something to make this even more discouraging. How many of you do not work in a Christian organization? Raise your hand. Look around the room. There's only a few of us, percentage-wise, that work in a Christian organization. We're going to be like most churches out there. Right? That means if you take the amount of people that are not working in a Christian organization that go to church, that means the percentage of people that actually work in Christian organizations is very small that actually go to church. And you say, what does that matter? That's only one statistic. I give you a lot. That's only one statistic that shows you that our city is probably a lot darker than we think it is. Because here's the thing. These are the people that are running missions organizations. Um, uh, organizations that give uh, food and money and clothes and stuff to kids around the world, that uh, send ministers to different countries that, that support 
um, Bible production and all kinds of stuff all over Colorado Springs. And a very small percentage of those people actually go to church. And here's the, one of the things that I found when I first got here is a lot of people that I came across, specifically ministry organization people, believe that Colorado Springs is not that unsaved. It's mostly Christian. That was very common in what I heard when I first got here. My argument would be Colorado Springs is very unsaved, very dark, and some of this is even in the context of what people consider themselves to be the church. Are you following me? I, was, I mentioned this last week. I was at the grocery store and I saw this group of guys, four or five guys, early 20s. And, uh, and they were working very hard to make sure that everybody knew that they were gay, that uh, the way they were dressing, acting, everything is that they were gay. And, and it was really discouraging to me. I, I, I don't know how you perceive this, but I do not get angry at people when I see that. I don't get angry at them. I get angry at Satan. It makes me very angry at Satan. But those, there's a reason those guys are like that. Um, overwhelming. Now, this is not a statistic that people like to talk about and admit, but this is true, okay? I've just been doing this too long. I've done the counseling. I've worked in these things. And back in the day, we admitted these statistics. We don't admit them now. Almost all young men that become homosexual were sexually abused as children by somebody that was a male. We don't like to admit that stuff. So when I see that, I, it hurts me because that, that, that kid has been, he may be 25, but he's a kid. He, that kid has been abused when he was a child and it continues and now he's abusing himself and most likely because this is how the culture works, he's being handed around to older men and he's still being abused and this is the context that that guy's life has been about and nobody is trying to help him out of it. Because we have been trained in society and even so strong in the church that that's their decision, that's their idea, and it just let them make their own decisions. We don't do that with drug addicts. We don't do that with murderers. But we will do that with that, that context because Satan has, 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 has locked us up in lies with this kind of stuff. And that kid's life is being destroyed and his soul is hurting, his heart is hurting, and he needs help. He needs love. He needs real love, not this twisted, perverted stuff that Satan has handed him all his life. And I'm sitting there watching these guys, and if it would have just been him, I might have said something. But there was a crew that were together, and you could tell part of the reason they were together was so they could dress this way, act this way, be this way, and there was a protection in numbers. You go and start talking to one, and Satan will make sure that all of them begin to gang up and that kind of thing. And I don't know, I've struggled with this. I, I still wonder, should I have said something? I don't know. But it hurt me. I immediately began to pray for this kid. Because why? There is darkness. And, it, and, and Satan is stealing our kids from us. He's stealing an entire generation. He's grabbing them and dragging them to hell and then laughs at them when they get there. And, and they've been abused through the whole process. From step one to into eternity, they, they've been abused. 
Guys, somewhere it is the responsibility of the church to say that's not okay. I have, some of you are in this room, so you know what I'm talking about, but people come to me regularly and say, okay, I've got a nephew or a niece or something or, or a cousin or a sister or something that's gay and I want to talk to them. What do I do? How do I do this? And so I try to help them come up with ideas of how to, how to broach the subject and process this without being attacking or without being judgmental or those kind of things. But here's something to just keep in mind. You are judging them because if you, if you believe it's a sin, that's a judgment, all right? Don't, don't let Satan beat you up with that. Bible says it's a sin. You have to say it's a sin too because that's what the Bible says. And so there is a judgment that has happened, all right? Don't let Satan abuse you of that, disabuse you of that. So, so you have to go into it knowing this is a sin. You're trying to help them. You're trying to rescue them, even if they don't want to be rescued. Because we have to do that. We have to say stuff. You've got to use wisdom. You've got to use a lot of prayer. Bathe it in prayer. Don't you ever step out there and try to do it within yourself. You, you, you're going to cause problems more than you're going to help. Bathe this thing in prayer. Bathe it in prayer. Then when you step out there, trust that the Holy Spirit wants what's best for them and can show them that, even if you can't convince them. Guys, there is a lot of darkness, and we've got to start standing up to this. We've got to start being this light. So John chapter 3, verse 18, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based upon this fact. Now, he just said some sentences, so you would assume that the judgment is based upon this fact. What would the fact be? Not believing that Jesus is God. That, would, that should be the statement here, because that's what he's been saying through the whole thing, starting back in, in verse 14, actually. Okay? So, but this is where he changes it, and he puts, a, he puts a broader context than just believing that Jesus is God. See, believing Jesus is God can be, if you're not careful, it can be limited to more of a moniker. And what Jesus does, what, what John does here, is he broadens this out with this next sentence to explain that it's not just a, a title, it is a direction. It's an existence. He says the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. When, we're, when we see God's light came into the world, we understand because of what he said in John 1, but also just because of the way light works, that that light will push against the darkness. The light will, will dispel the darkness. So it's not just a title. He doesn't just say, believe that Jesus is God, but he says that Jesus is actually, <clears throat> this is who he is. He is the light and life, but that's what he does too. He lights, that that's what he is doing. And so then he says, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. We all know what this feels like. Every one of us in here, we understand that, that, that sense that when we're doing something, actively, knowingly doing something that is not copacetic with Jesus and his word, that, that there is a, uh, a, um, a resistance or a pushback against the things of God. Okay? A, a simple example, I, this has happened to me a few times, but one time in particular it happened to me. I was, I was talking to my wife. We were arguing. I was talking. She was probably yelling. But I, we were having an argument, and, uh, and, and I got upset, and I'm like, I'm out of here. And so as a mature adult, I just left. And, um, and I was going to go get in my car and drive around and say many things to her that she needed to hear. So I, I walk out the door, and immediately walking out the door, the Lord convicts me, stops me, and he says, this is all like in one thought process. He says, you know you're wrong. You know you need to repent and ask me to forgive you and go back in there and fix this. 
And I'm like, that's not going to happen. So, but immediately, what did I do? I resisted talking to God because why? I knew I was wrong. And when I know I'm wrong, but I'm not ready to change yet, <clears throat> I will resist the things of God. I will start to become irritated with things like prayer and, and God's word and getting together with other Christians and coming to church and things like that. Why? Because it's there in my heart, it's in my spirit, and I'm resisting. Now, if, if, I, if it's there in my heart, but I'm wanting to make it right, all of a sudden, all those things become attractive to me. All of a sudden, God's word and prayer and getting together with other people for accountability, coming to church, all of those things become attractive to me because I'm, I'm ha I have a repentant spirit. When I have a resistant spirit, those things become negatives to me. And it's amazing how easy you can become irritated with the things of God that are important for your life, but it's directly because of you. It's not because of those things. Okay, I do this myself, all right? Um, as the pastor, I don't have the freedom to just not come to church. I mean, I guess, but not very long. I, we get away with that. <clears throat> but I can't just not come to church. So what I do is I come to church and I'm irritated with you. Right? If you get irritated with the group or some of the group or what, what do you do? You just don't come to church the next week. Now, I totally get that at some level. Right? I totally get it. But I've been doing this all my life, so I, I've never had that freedom. Just like, I'm not going this weekend. I am upset at Christine, and I'm not going to go look at her. <laughs> I, I'm not upset at Christine. I don't get upset at Christine. Not possible. Could be possible. but <laughs> Right? So, so what do I do? I come, and I'm just angry at you. And there's, like, individuals probably that I'm angry at, but then it starts spreading out, and pretty soon I don't. I'm irritated with all of you. You know what that is? That's an indicator for me that somewhere I'm wrong. Somewhere my heart is wrong. It's not you guys. I mean, it could be a couple of you. There are legitimate reasons I get upset at people sometimes. But to be just irritated with everybody, guys, that's, that's a me issue. Let that be a light that goes off in your mind and your spirit. When you're just irritated, you're irritated with the spouse and the family and you're irritated with everybody at work. The problem is not all of them. The problem is you. Here's the way to solve that. Get in the light of Jesus. Just get in the light of Jesus and let him begin to display that light. Let me show you this. We talked enough about the darkness. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread, drank no water. I, I've had crit critics of the Bible say, see, that's proof. I, in fact, I saw this on a video a few weeks ago. That's proof that that can't be a true story. Moses couldn't have gone 40 days without water. Now, I totally get that. You can't go more than about three days without water, and your body begins to, to, to stop, right? But here's the thing. Who's the one who made your body dependent upon water. God did. Who was he hanging out with? God. <clears throat> God probably took care of it. I mean, think about, think about what we're saying. He's, he's literally in the presence of God, but he, but he couldn't go without water or food. He could go without air. He could go without anything if God said go without it. Because at that point, just being in the presence of God 
took care of everything. Which, when you, go to, when you go to Matthew and it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this other stuff, your daily substance and everything will be added, then that scripture can become more powerful if you really think about what being in God could be. Now, I'm not saying go without food and water for that purpose. I mean, I, I believe in fasting. Go without food for, for periods of time and spend that time praying. I get it. But, but what I'm saying is, is if you really can get a big picture of dependence upon God for everything, Moses didn't even need water. Now look at this. The Lord wrote the terms of the, command, of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But he didn't know why. He didn't know he was glowing. Why? All he had been is in the presence of Jesus, the presence of God. You say, not Jesus, God. If you say, not Jesus, God, you don't have a healthy understanding of the Trinity. He's in the presence of the Lord, and he begins to glow. Just getting in the presence of God. In fact, Moses' face shined so bright that when he was in the presence of God, it looked dim. Process that. Mark chapter 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Don't you think Moses was like, I've already done this. See, see, they're in the presence of God. That's why Jesus began to glow. And I think, okay, this is just my, this way my brain works. This is not theology. I think Jesus glows quicker than all of us. Doesn't that make sense? Because he's God in human flesh, but that's not really the reason. It's because he's walking in the Holy Spirit a sinless life. I think he lights up and glows faster than we do. And I would say this also just taking this room, statistically, some of us in this room are going to glow faster than others of us in this room. Because sometimes it takes a while for us to get into the presence of Jesus in relationship to what our lives have been looking like. Let that convict. And then also because of how much sin we're playing around with, sometimes it takes a while to light us up in comparison to how much darkness has been strapped into our existence. I know what this feels like to have sin and temptation pull at you and pull at you and you feel like you can't get away. You feel like you can't um, do the right thing or make the right decision. Sometimes Satan's temptation and addictions and all kinds of stuff can be so strong. One of my pet peeves is when people say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I don't disagree with that until the Holy Spirit intervenes. There's no way. See, think about this. That's a death statement if, if you're saying to me that I can get saved, but I'm still an alcoholic, I can have the blood of Jesus cover me and forgive me and change me, but I'm still an alcoholic, that I can have the Holy Spirit engage me and empower me, but I'm still an alcoholic, then how big is Jesus? I thought scripture says that we become new creations in him, that the old has passed away. 
When do we embrace that and stop letting society tell us that we're still defeated, we're still in a destruction mode, and we'll never get out of it? At what point do we say, no, wait a second. The Holy Spirit can free me and release me. And I'm not caught up in that stuff. I'm not held by that. Now, separate from the Holy Spirit, I don't argue with it. You'll always be whatever you are. Because you can't change yourself. Jeremiah 23 tells us that. But once you let the Holy Spirit change you, He can make you a new person. You don't have to be controlled by that stuff. Guys, we're about to pray about that in here. If you're being controlled by something, you trust the Lord this morning that He can break that. You do not have to be controlled by that. Sometimes it could just be your attitude and your, and your own fears or rebellions or insecurities or whatever. You can, you can have the Holy Spirit break that. I learned that when I was going through depression. The Holy Spirit broke that in my life. What does that mean? Is that, is that who I'm always going to be? No. If it is, why pray? Why, why try? If you're bound up by it forever. Because when do we just get free of this stuff? Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus, and everybody started glowing. That's what, that's what I want in my life. And I'm gonna, let me finish it with this. This is, this is a little different, but I, I thought this was interesting. Th- Psalms 34, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from my fears. Fears. Those who look to him for help will have, uh, for him, for help will be radiant with joy. Radiant with joy and fears are not the same thing. So I had fears, but if I look to the Lord during this time, I can have radiant joy. I can have glowing joy. Why? Because I'm getting in the presence of God. And then the next sentence, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. So shadow, shame, darkness, and fears are all connected. But radiant joy comes from when you get into the Lord. That's what he tells us. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> I want to be like a I want to be like a glow in the dark toy. I'm in the presence of Jesus, you turn off the lights and I still glow. Now obviously that's metaphorical to a great extent. But here here's why I think guys, I really believe the more we get in the presence of the Lord, the more that the light and life of Jesus Christ takes hold in our spirit and our existence and it begins to change us to the point where it changes us around changes people around us. And I've had people say, well, this is the reason I don't have to witness. Because if I just serve Jesus, they'll know I'm light. If you think that way, you haven't been close enough to Jesus to be the light you think you are being. Because he also said you got to tell others. When we get close enough to Jesus, we will have a desire to also begin to share this light and share this life. The reason that we convince ourselves we don't or don't need to or that's for somebody else or something is because we're not close enough to Jesus. And that's where we need to get to, close to Jesus. So bow your heads. I put this in four sentences. Prayer pushes back darkness. Holiness pushes back darkness. God's word brings truth and light and pushes back darkness. Declaring that Jesus is God to the lost destroys the darkness. I want to pray for us. Keep your head bowed just for a second because I want you to process this for yourself. <clears throat> but I want to ask you a, a question and, I, and uh, I want you to put some uh, feet to this and make this a step, a step out, a step of faith kind of thinking. And you say, I, I feel like the, the darkness is encroaching. It may be very 
very simple and, and on the edges. I feel like the darkness is croaching and I'm not, I'm, I'm not standing up to it enough. Maybe it's even enticing to me. Or you could be all the way to the point of saying, the darkness has, has got control of me in different places in my life. And I don't want this. I don't need this. I need to be separate from this. But if you say, I need to be free from the darkness and I need Jesus. Jesus is light to shine through my existence. I'd like you to step out and come down front and we're just going to pray for you here in just a second. But I say, I need, I need to be free from this. Step out and come down front. praying this for myself <clears throat> for quite a few weeks now saying Jesus I don't want the darkness to overtake me I catch myself getting so angry at Washington I don't I don't want that anger darkness to overtake me I catch myself getting so frustrated with the direction of our country and the average person in our country and I'm praying God help me not to get caught up in this darkness because it leads to the next darkness and the next darkness and the next darkness. But we can be free from this. You guys that are up here, step up a little bit, make sure people can get behind you. And somebody else that wants to, we would like to invite you to come pray with them. You don't have to ask them what you're praying about. Like this would be the category of probably not our business. But to be able to pray and say, God, we know, we know that you you can break anything you can break anything that there is nothing that there is nothing that, that there's no wall, there's no stronghold there's nothing that, that Satan is bigger than God with, right? alright, let's pray God, we lift we lift ourselves up to you Jesus, you created me to be a, a place where you live and dwell Holy Spirit, you created me to be a temple for you. A window that light shines from constantly. And God, as a human being, I get so caught up in the darkness. I get so caught up in stuff <clears throat> that used to offend me. Now it doesn't offend me. Language that used to offend me now doesn't offend me. As sexuality on TV and movies that used to offend me doesn't offend me. God, the way people treat each other used to offend me, doesn't offend me. God, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean. God, I want to push away from the darkness. 
Lord, let your light shine through me so bright that it completely chases all darkness away. And help other people to see that, to know it, to recognize it. That Jesus, you are so big, so powerful, so loving, so full of grace. Jesus, I need you. So I pray all across this room, Lord, any of the any of the ways that we're, we're given into the flesh, any of the ways that we're allowing Satan to entice us, God, I rebuke it right now in the authority of Jesus. I rebuke that and tear down those walls, Lord, tear down those strongholds. And God, help us not to be enticed, but to be disgusted by the sin the world provides. And Lord, help us to care deeply about the people that are caught up in it. In the name of Jesus, we need this so much. Lord, help us to pursue you to pursue you with everything about us. Pursue you more than money and jobs and situations and we pursue you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Not by our own strength, not by our own power, but by your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Let your Holy Spirit move through our minds and our hearts right now. Let your Holy Spirit Get into our, our thinking and change it. And Jesus, let your blood cover us. Cover every one of us through this whole building. Let your blood cover us. And God, I declare that I serve you. I don't serve the world. I serve you. I don't chase after the world. I chase after you. In the name of Jesus. God, we need you so much. I need you so much. God, break all of the strongholds that Satan tries to build up. All across the front here, all through this room, Lord, the strongholds that Satan builds up, God, tear them down and give us freedom. That we're not controlled by our own nature. We're not controlled by our sin. We become controlled by your Holy Spirit our desire in Jesus name so God take us from here this morning boldness anticipation of what you're doing ready to be convicted Lord I pray every one of us in this room when we step into an arena we're not supposed to convict us Lord that we desire to be convicted Lord help us to walk in your word in your light in your truth be confident in that, not to be worried or scared or feeling inferior or something else, but God, that we walk strong in your word. In the name of Jesus. Because you're amazing, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, when you, when you sense the Holy Spirit convicting you, don't push away from it. Go into it. Go into it. Let the Holy Spirit convict you. Desire it. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Tell somebody that Jesus is bigger than their world, and God will honor that in your life. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here, and we will see you Wednesday night.